Hello, it's Sandra Goodley, President of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society here, and welcome to the latest Prescats. It's my absolute pleasure today to be talking to Professor Jane Lawrence, who recently received an award in the Queen's Honours. She's Head of Pharmacy and Optometry in the School of Health Science at Manchester Uni, and many of you will remember her time as the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's Chief Scientist. She's packed a lot into her career, so I'm really looking forward to this. Jane, um, congratulations. Thank you. First and foremost, I'm a pharmacist. I studied pharmacy at Liverpool Polytechnic and then I undertook my pre-registration training um, split between six months in community in Liverpool and six months in the pharmaceutical industry. After this, I undertook a PhD at the University of Manchester under the supervision of Professors Peter Elworthy and Atwood, who I owe a great debt to because I learned ever so much from them. I was then very fortunate to obtain a lectureship in the pharmacy department at King's College, becoming a prof in my early 40s. I had secondments working in the pharmaceutical industry. In 2007, I started a 50% secondment from King's, um, Sandra just said, the RPS as chief scientist until early 2017, soon after I started working in the Division of Pharmacy and Optometry at Manchester. Brilliant. So obviously packs a lot in. Our members, pharmacists generally love it when they see pharmacists being awarded because uh, it reflects a little bit on them as well and what they do. But what were the specific reasons you were awarded your MBE? I was awarded my MBE for services to pharmaceutical research, but I really can't tell you anything else because everything, including your nomination, is done without your knowledge. The first I knew of anything was when I actually got a phone call from the cabinet office and then I actually got the letter saying I'd been awarded the honour. You got a letter or you got an email? I got an, an email with a letter attached. One of the letters that everybody else seems <laughs> to get. Such a shame because you haven't got that very special souvenir because th- those envelopes, they just stand out a little bit, don't they? Well, you wouldn't know because you haven't <laughs> had one. <laughs> that is such a shame. And I expect you don't know when you're going to be awarded it either because of the COVID restrictions. No, we've been given no clue. And in fact, I was told I had the award in the f- on the 1st of January, I think, and it didn't get announced till October the 10th. So that's a long time to keep everything think very secret you must have been bursting but I assume you told your family only my husband and mum if you can't tell your spouse who can you tell so I expect they're very proud of you and are looking forward to the big day but what are you proudest of in your career if you'll indulge me there's two things I'm particularly proud of I will indulge you thank you the first when I was at King's I instigated and led the development of the first integrated pharmacy degree that was way back in the late 1990s And by the time the GPHC introduced the standards in 2011, there was a requirement for every school of pharmacy to have an integrated degree. For those of you who don't know what that means, it meant instead of teaching science in the traditional subject streams that most of us have been taught, the science was actually taught in a way it's contextualised so you understood why you were learning about hydrolysis of drugs and why that was important for stability, for example. A lot of older people like um, myself would say that the beauty of the science degree was we did an awful lot of science and can still remember a lot of it and can put it into context anyway. So do you think we've lost anything from a science perspective in training students this way? I don't think we've lost anything from the scientific aspect. 
we've had to cram in a lot more as medicines have become more and more varied and the roles pharmacists do have become more varied. I don't think we have the time or the luxury we used to have in trying to understand the science in a little bit more depth. Yeah, because there are concerns that science is being eroded from the medical degree and pharmacy will be be next. But you think we can hold it as it is or, or is there a danger that science could be further eroded in the future? I think it's absolutely essential we keep science strong in pharmacy because we're the only people who understand the science of medicines, obviously. But also, if we're going to be good clinicians, if we don't understand the science, I don't think we can be effective and good clinicians. So it's really important we get that balance right going forward. Well, absolutely agree. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this will as well. You said there were two yes, achievements I- that you were most proud of. Yeah, my other highlight is, is probably slightly different. It's being made chair of science board of one of the research councils. And there's seven research councils. I think we all know about the MLC, but this is one called the Science and Technologies Facilities Council. I had to interview for this role of chair. And as the only pharmacist ever to have been on the board, most of the board members are physicists, I was really delighted to get the position as a chair. Now, amongst other things... The board is responsible for recommending to council which proposals should be supported to perform experiments such as experiments at CERN, astronomy's experiments, experiments for search for dark matter and dark energy, and in some cases, even early stage space missions. That, to me, is really exciting stuff. And to have been in a position where I supported that science was absolutely fascinating. The scientist on science board were absolutely fascinated by my own research and actually asked me to give them a talk about um, the delivery of drugs using advanced and complex medicines so that was really exciting too. So do you chair a board of men there or uh, is it a bit more gender balance because a lot of physicists are still sadly male there is a bit of a gender gap in science isn't there? Well first of all talk about the board it was really interesting The two staff members from the Facilities Council that supported the board were female. And when I was chair, my deputy was female. And now she's chair, her deputy is female. So I think at the moment, there's um, quite a good balance of women on on the board, fortunately. That's good to hear. But obviously, pharmacy as a profession now has more women than men at student level. People look at the higher levels, chief execs of all of the pharmacy organisations are male. Got more probably chief pharmacists who are female now, but you can't help feeling that true equality isn't there. So academia also hasn't got a good track record for women a lot of the professorships are male. So obviously you've done exceptionally well. They always say it's twice as difficult for a woman to succeed as a man, but some would say that's not that difficult, but I don't want to insult my male colleagues. But is that gap still there? What's it like for those younger students today? Will we see more female professors? Will we see more females in the top jobs? I think it's very true that at the higher levels in pharma and academia, men do still outnumber women. But I actually think that's not true any longer at the entry and lower levels of management. So, for example, when I started out in pharmacy, I joined the pharmacy department at King's College and there was myself and one other woman. 
now where I work in Manchester, about half the staff are, are women and a similar number of staff at Kings are women. So there's a big increase in women working in schools of pharmacy, certainly at the, the lower and the middle levels. At more senior levels, however, I, I was shocked to find I was only the second woman to be head of a pharmacy school at a Russell Group University. And heads of pharmacy schools, there's probably only a handful of women who are heads in the UK. So you're right at the high levels, but there's lower levels, things are changing. And I think that's true also in the pharmaceutical industry. Again, at the senior levels, there's far less women, although that is changing. Um, so you may have heard of Emma Wormsley, who was CEO at GSK. Interestingly, at the lower levels in pharma, there are more women than there are men. Now, this decreases, I think, to about 50% women at senior management level and about 30% at executive level. But what is fascinating, there's a recent report by McKinsey that says healthcare is probably the best industry for working women and that women are just as likely to be promoted as men. So I think things are changing. It will take a while to be equal. But things are looking definitely a lot better. Well, that's good to hear because the, you know, there's still a pay gap in lots of areas and it can be more difficult for women with career breaks, etc. This will probably be broadcast during March, which is focusing on women in pharmacy. Have you got any top tips or advice, particularly for women who want to succeed in areas which have traditionally not been perceived as so female friendly? A couple of things, just something generally first, and this applies to men and women, going back to the idea of working in academia and industry. If you really want to apply on scientific knowledge to do development of medicines, I think both are fantastic places to work in industry. There's so many opportunities available and you can do anything ranging from drug discovery, medicines development, right way through to clinical trials and pharmacovigilance. So there are so many exciting jobs that you should really think about it as a career. If you're a woman starting out, I'd say two things to you. Believe in yourself and you can achieve anything you want. But as part of this belief, I really believe you've got to know your own strengths and weaknesses. If you don't know them, that in itself is a weakness. Knowing them is a real strength. We're entering slightly different era with pharmacy education, with the new five-year course, and it's going to be a lot more integrated. Do you think it's going to be difficult for students to follow industry placements with the new system that's being developed? Yes, I think it's a real pity the way the degree is structured that students probably won't have the opportunity to do an industrial placement, and yet... If you talk to people in industry, they really want pharmacists working in industry because the one skill that we have that a chemist or a biologist doesn't have is we actually understand the patient and what the patient needs. And that is so very important for people developing new medicines in industry. That's one of the reasons why pharmacists have always done so well in industry. At a time when a lot more pharmacy students were thinking about industry as a career because there were a whole range of different opportunities opening up, it does seem a bit of a shame that the changes to education may put all of that into reverse. Is there anything you think we should be doing to help? 
I think it's really important both for the future of pharmacy and also for pharmacists going to work in medicines, we keep the science and the degree strong. As long as we do that, I think coming out of a pharmacy degree, somebody would still have an opportunity to go and work in industry. What the pharmaceutical society can do and the wider profession is keep publicising the opportunities available within industry to students because as long as they know opportunities are available and there is a chance for them to work in industry once they've done their foundation training and use those skills that they've learnt during that time and apply them to the development of medicines. The quotation about women having to be twice as good as men to succeed in life, um, fortunately that not being difficult, brings back memories. When I started working in academia, and as I said, I was only one of two women, my aunt brought me the poster of that saying on, so that brings back memories of my time working as a young academic. Good. So that's obviously still on your desk, which is interesting. And there, there are more women around you now. Um do you think that's because of society generally um, or universities? Are they actually quite a good place to work as a woman if you have a, a family? I think academia is a really good place to work if you're a woman because it's a lot more flexible than a lot of jobs. As long as you do your work that you require to do, you can do it in a slightly more flexible way, which allows you to look after children a lot easier than perhaps working a very strict nine to five job. I also think people working in academia tend to be a little bit more liberal. And I know even when I worked in academia and had my children, and that was a real novelty after I think the men got over the shock that one and the woman they're going to work with had a baby. They were all very welcoming and made it relatively easy for me. Good to hear that you had that experience because certainly in very cutthroat workplaces, that is not always women's experiences. So from what you've been saying, it sounds that both you know, science and academia are now much more welcoming um, environments for women. And I think that's entirely good news. But I just want to end with a, a final question. It's about your time at RPS, really, because you mentioned two things that you were proudest of in your life. What was the thing you most enjoyed about working at RPS as the chief scientist? I think I enjoyed being challenged and having to do things that really took me outside my own comfort zone. So early on, I had to present as a select committee about homeopathy, and that was really a terrifying experience. But to have done it was really quite exciting I also had to do a lot of media work, which I found very uh, difficult, although over the time I got much more used to it, helped, to be honest, by the support I had from the media team in the RPS. So, yes, I think I really enjoyed being challenged. I actually watched that select committee from my office in Westminster when I was MP. That was one of the toughest select committees you could have been before because there were some people who were really anti-homeopathy in all shapes and forms, thought it had no place in science. Can't remember if Evan Harris gave you a hard time or not, but that was a difficult thing. That was a real baptism by fire. So well done for that. But what you've just said is, I think, also very important. It's about stepping out of your comfort zone. 
when I asked about advice for women, you said about know your strengths and weaknesses. The piece of advice I always give is you've got to be prepared to step out of your comfort zone. So it's so interesting to hear you say that because you've obviously had to do that very difficult committee and all of the media stuff and you grew with it. So it's all part of what made you what you are today. I found so much I'd learned at the RPS really helpful when I joined pharmacy as head of division. I realised how much knowledge I'd picked up that was really useful to the job I'm in now. Every day is a learning day, as they say. So before we close there, any last piece of advice you'd like to give to aspiring scientists generally or women in particular? My advice to women is to have belief in yourself and just go for it and you will get where you want to go in the end. Well, Jane, you've had a a very interesting career and I hope it's not too long before you can receive your well-deserved MBE from the Queen. Thank you very much, Jane. Thank you.